Good morning, family. You may be seated. You know, I'm so grateful that uh, the Lord put those songs on, on your hearts to uh, just lead us today. What a joy to worship our King together. Isn't it wonderful? The God that's worthy of all of our praise. Whatever we can muster up, He will receive. And sometimes it, sometimes it can be just a little bit, but that's okay. Just give him, give him what you have. He's deserving. He's worthy. Family, if you'd open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're continuing on in our study of the book of Acts, and today we're studying verses 40 through, 42 through 52. And the title of this morning's message is, The Choice is Yours. Our salvation requires a decision. And it's very clear in the scriptures that we're to receive Christ. But here we find in this chapter, or what we found is Paul and Barnabas, remember they're on their first missionary journey. They've, they're in the city of Antioch of Pisidia. That's their stop. And as was customary, if you remember, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he made a point of visiting the synagogues to bring the gospel of salvation. And remember the law, they would read during these services the law and the prophets. And the head of the synagogue would then invite someone to preach a sermon. And as we talked about last time, the invitation was extended to Paul. Of course, they knew that, that Paul was, was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. And when Paul began to share, well, he shared more than they were bargaining for. And praise God for that. You know, so the Spirit of God had touched his heart and changed his heart and brought him into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So it was no longer about following the law, the external. It was no longer about the prophets. It was about Jesus Christ who said, I've fulfilled. I didn't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. And we know that he did. And we, we need Jesus. Because none of us can keep the law. You've tried. You probably broke the law coming here this morning. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. But in some way, in some fashion, every single one of us has violated the righteous standards of God. So, this invitation was extended to the Apostle Paul, who I'm certain was excited. He, he went there to preach. And he was given this opportunity and invited to share. And the sermon that he shared was very, very similar to the sermon that Stephen, the, the first martyr in the early church, shared before he was stoned to death. And, and Paul, he would give a history of the Jewish people uh, from Abraham to King David and ultimately to Jesus Christ. And, and family, it all leads to Jesus the scriptures all lead to and point to Jesus Christ as Messiah. And of course, as he shared Jesus with them, it was the greatest expression of God's love and grace is found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as you might expect, which is absolutely needful and appropriate, when Paul shared Jesus with them, he called them to make a decision for Christ. He gave them a choice. Each of us has an opportunity to make a choice for Jesus too. 
He spoke of the forgiveness of sin. He, he spoke of justification, how through Jesus Christ, you and I, God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. It's, re, it's remarkable truth. It's incredible. You know, those of us were dead in our trespasses and sin, but Jesus Christ lay, lay, raised us, excuse me, up to new life in him. That once was is no longer. We aren't known by our sin. We're known by our Savior. And it's so important for us to hold on to. Paul spoke of what Jesus did that the law could never do. And that is keeping every letter of the law for absolute perfection. Absolutely impossible. And Jesus fulfilled that. And it's so eternally critical that every person allow Jesus to do in their life what we could never ever do on our own. And we tried it, right? Did, before we came to Christ, we tried to be good, to do good, to do the right things. And how many times, and you don't have to answer this because I can't count mine, how many times did you stumble and fall? You blow it. You mess up. Well, listen, I got a newsflash for you. I still mess up every single day. I still sin every single day, but Jesus Christ has saved me and has forgiven me all of all of my sin, past, present, and future. Aren't you grateful for that? I am so thankful for that. Well, after Paul shared with them, he gave them a warning. And of course, the scriptures are full of warnings. God gives his warnings before he judges. And Paul gave them a warning. He, those that rejected the message from the Old Testament scriptures regarding the Jewish Messiah, he said, I got, he said you have to beware. You've got to be very, very careful. Beware that you don't believe what God has done through Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the law through forgiveness of sin and the payment of sin death, thereby declared just, justified by God. He said, don't reject that truth. That's a truth that we must absolutely embrace. Hebrews 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So don't neglect what God has given. And that's the warning that Paul had given to the people. As he finished his sermon, I find it very, very interesting that the Holy Spirit gives us the people's response to Paul's sermon. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to know that there was a response and what their response was. Well, let's read verses 42 through 52. Again, Paul finished his sermon, and we're going to see how the crowd responded. It says in verse 42, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought or begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, speaking to the Jews, but seeing you put it away from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Praise God for that. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust off their, of their feet against them and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. You see, every time that we share from the Word of God, be it through maybe a sermon or share the gospel with someone, there is a response that takes place, be it in, the, in the, an individual or in a group. There's always a response in the heart of the hearer of that word or that message. And in the passage that we just read, we see three responses to Paul's message. The first one, there were those that heard the offer, offer of salvation and they trusted in Jesus Christ. That is a response of faith in Jesus. They came to Christ. And we see this in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They trusted. They trusted that this word of God was the word of life. And they received Christ into their hearts. Many of the Gentiles and Jews believed. And as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue, it says many. And it's so wonderful, so wonderful to hear. Many followed them. They, they were hungry. They beseeched them, it says, or besought them in verse 42. They begged for more. They didn't want the sermon to end, did they? They wanted to hear more about Jesus. And what we find is Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in the grace of God in their new relationship with Jesus. I also find it interesting that they encourage the people to continue in the grace of God. And this is so important for us because sometimes we can forget about God's grace. We get so wrapped up in ourselves. We get so wrapped up in the condemnation of the enemy. We get so wrapped up in dwelling on our failures, right, that we forget the grace of God. But you know what, family? We ought never to lose sight of the grace of God because the moment we lose the sight, our sight of the grace of God, we begin to believe that our salvation has something to do with us when the truth is it's all grace. Continue, family, to grasp forgiveness and justification through Jesus Christ Continue to follow after him by faith. Paul and Barnabas encouraged them in that way. The second response. There were others that wanted to know more. Verse 42 again, the Gentiles besought that these words would be preached to them the next Sabbath. This is a group that hasn't yet made that decision for Christ. And they wanted to hear more. They were hungry. They pleaded for more. And the reason they wanted to hear more is because what they heard, it's something that they never heard before. It kind of boggled their minds. And here's what it was, that even the Gentiles could be saved. It was like revelation to them. The Jews looked at the Gentiles as fuel for the fires of hell. The Gentiles began to believe that. But here... Salvation came to the Gentiles. 
And for us as Gentiles, we're accustomed to knowing that the love of God is for everyone, right? We know it's for the Jew and Gentile alike. But in Paul's day, they felt like they were second-class citizens to the Jews. They felt like they could never, ever attain to the same level that the Jews were. That God somehow loved them more than anyone else, knowing that they were God's chosen people. The idea that God loved the Gentiles as much as he loved the Jews was astounding to them. They never heard it before. So they were hungry. They wanted to know more. So that's the second response. The third response that we see is the rejection of that message. We see it in verses 44 through 46. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting him and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it away from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, this is incredible, almost the whole city came to the synagogue not to hear what the Jewish leaders had to say, but they wanted to hear what Paul had to say. So here these strangers come into the synagogue, then all of a sudden, there's no more seats left. And now, what's taking place is the Jews are angry. They were filled with envy. They argued against what Paul said and contradicted him. You know, and picture this in your own mind. They interrupted while he was preaching, trying to throw him off course, trying to distract him. They argued against him and began, began to blaspheme or slander him, began to call him names while he's teaching. And we see here that they stirred up the women. Verse 50 tells us this. Women that were married to prominent men in these cities. And in, and in those days, many Gentile women converted to Judaism. And they were especially attracted to Judaism because the worship of their former worship of false gods and deities, they were steeped in superstition. They were steeped in immorality, drunkenness, sexual rituals surrounded many of the pagan gods. And when worship, when they worship that kind of God, when people worship that kind of God, what happens? There's a, an extremely negative effect on people. A very harmful effect on society. We so need to worship the one true and living God because He is truth. He is the way and He is, he is the life. Idols lead people astray. And you know, when you think about idol worship, like was being participated in back then, and it's, let me tell you, it still exists today. We know this to be true. But you would think that people would stop and think that this is just plain wrong. These idols, these, these little gods, these little lowercase g gods mean nothing, and they can do nothing. And you would think they began to look at these things and say, I, I see where it's leading people and what it does to people, yet they continued in their practices. Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. 
They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat, that they may make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. And the scriptures are so very clear, yet even today statues are prayed to. They're worshipped, they're bowed down to. We see it in, in many of the churches. Now these women that are spoken of here would listen and become Jewish converts. They, they discovered that the God of the Bible is the one only true God. And they would begin to look at the law of God and begin to see that the kind of morality and holiness that was coming forth from the law of God and that kind of person that the, that the worship of the one true and living God would produce, they saw the effects of, of people worshiping God, following after His commands, simply obeying the Scriptures of God as they were written. They saw something that was attractive to them, something so very beautiful. And the gap they saw between Judaism and idol worship began to make sense, and the differences between idol worship and Judaism, it appealed to them. So they said, well, we want to be part of this. We want to be part of Judaism. And some of those women that were part of the synagogue, they're prominent and influential. And these rebellious Jews, they, they saw what was happening to these women, and they began to convince them, listen, go talk to your influential husbands, who, by the way, aren't here at church. Go talk to them to pass some kind of law that would get guys like Paul and Barnabas out of our city. And they were successful in doing so. Verse 51 says, But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 14. He said, And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Well, it might sound kind of, sound kind of odd to us, but it was, it was very well known in that culture. And if the Jews would accidentally or unavoidably walk across the property that belonged to Gentiles, they would shake off the dust that defiled their feet. And they did it before they got back into Jewish ground. It was common, and all the Jews understood this practice. <clears throat> Remember, Jesus instructed the apostles to shake the dust off their feet from those homes that rejected the apostles, and in doing so, they were sending a message. And for those that would witness the apostles shaking the dust off their feet, they would know that the message that was given was not received, and that those folks were lost, just like they believed that the Gentiles were lost. It's like, we've come to you with good news, yet you've rejected it. So these leaders, influenced by these women, who were influenced by those who were blaspheming against Paul and Barnabas, they were successful in removing them. But it's really beautiful to know that when a messenger is kicked out, the messenger just moves on to a different audience. The message continues. Praise God the message continues. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. Kicked out of one city, rejected, go to another city, share the gospel. Kicked out of that city, go to another city, share the gospel, and people get saved. Well, think about the attitude of the disciples here, Paul and Barnabas and the others when they got kicked out. Look at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They left that city with the joy 
in spite of the anger, in spite of the arguments against them, in spite of the blasphemy, because he was leaving a city that was now filled with people that had come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's cause to rejoice. There's, there's believers back here in this city. As we depart, they're going to be sharing the good news too. And you know, the sharing of the good news and, and souls coming to salvation, that was the most important part of, for Paul in his ministry. It really, it, he didn't even consider that it had anything to do with his feelings getting hurt. Not about that. And sometimes, you know, when we share with others, and you know, yes, our feelings can get hurt. But how about this? Let's rejoice that you had an opportunity to share. And God's word never, ever returns void. And it's not about how I feel. Yeah, it hurts. It stings a bit. But you know what? Rejoice that you were considered to be used by God and suffer shame for Christ as you were faithful to Him. And God did a work of salvation in Antioch of Pisidia. Paul Barnabas, the disciples, they rejoiced in that. Now, even though they, were, they and the other disciples were driven out of the city, the Holy Spirit stayed there. He didn't depart. He stayed with the people. And you, you can drive the messengers out of a place, but you know what? You cannot drive out God. What began in Antioch and Pisidia, God would complete there and spread further. And we cannot stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Think about it in your own life. How many of us here today realize from those early days of your salvation, and even though it was difficult, how faithful God was to keep you and to protect you and to encourage you and continue to feed you, continue to love you so that you can bring the gospel to others too. And today you realize God's Holy Spirit has been with you regardless of the opposition, and no one can drive out the Holy Spirit out of His temple. That's you. No one can take the Spirit away from you. And you know, if you're in the hands of God, you're in great hands. It's not about Allstate. Forget that. You are in the hand of God. That's the best hands to be in. And you know, when we consider the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the good news of the gospel, not only then, back when Paul and Barnabas were sharing, but even now, it rarely, it's rarely what it appears to be outwardly. In other words, the response of people, it's really not about the way they treat you or act. You may act they may come out as angry with you, and they might express anger toward you. They might call you a fool, or call, say what you're doing is foolishness. The scriptures tell us that the truth is foolishness to those that don't believe. They might say hurtful things to you, but we see in this passage, the only reason that they rejected Paul and Barnabas in a gospel is because, as verse 45 tells us, they were filled with envy. They were envious of Paul and Barnabas. And the reason is they were envious is of the interest the people had in listening to them and that Gentiles considered to be now equal with them. So what we find here is all born out of envy, something in the heart. What is it in the heart that causes the rejection of the gospel? What is it in the heart that stirs up envy? 
Well, Jesus talked about this in, in John chapter 3. Remember, he approached a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And here's, here's what he said, it says, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now here it is. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved which means lest his deeds should be exposed. As God looks at the rejection of his son and the salvation that's offered through the gospel, listen, God sees right through all the excuses. All the arguments against what was shared, all the words, all the appearances, and he looks right into the core, he looks right into a person's heart, and what does he see? Well, Jesus said it here in John chapter 3. He sees darkness. And there is some kind of darkness in a person's life that they simply don't want to give up and come to the light and walk with God. What could that darkness be? Well, listen, it could be pride, right? It could be materialism. It could be sexual addiction. It could be substance addiction. It could be that a person thinks, well, gee, I don't need this God stuff. I'm smarter than God. Could it be that I don't see my sin as devastating as God does? God does never minimize sin. He maximizes salvation. It cleanses us from that which sometimes we even minimize. Minimize our sin. God never does that. It could be the attitude, well, you know what, I just don't care. I just want to go on living life apart from you, apart from what you say. Let's let me alone. We've seen that. It could be a relationship that, that someone, someone knows if I become a Christian, all this would end. And I'm not willing to give that up. It could be all about self. That could be darkness too. I, I just want to do things my way. I want to be the one in charge. I don't want even God to tell me what to do. In fact, I'm going to make my own standards of morality, lifestyle, etc. In essence, I want my life to be all about me. All that darkness. Jesus here speaks to Nicodemus about light. To Nicodemus, you need the light. Light is something that illuminates or brings to view, specifically, a need to change. So the light came into the world to show man the need for change. He said, now this is the condemnation. And the Greek word for condemnation there is krisis. So this, this krisis, this condemnation, this krisis is actually a crisis, isn't it? Men love darkness rather than light. Darkness, it speaks of, of shadows, right? There's a lot that lurks in the shadows, and none of it's good. And oftentimes it can't be seen. It's hidden away. And then the light came. 
to drive out the darkness, which means change. Jesus said the light exposed the darkness, which means, listen, it's time for a change. And I don't believe any one of us here takes joy in being told that we're wrong. You know, the universal reaction is, no, you're wrong by telling me I'm wrong, right? What do you mean I'm wrong for telling you you're wrong? And I mean, that's an endless battle. We all have a tendency to resist change. But failure to receive the truth comes from a will to reject it because it would, it would evoke a need within me that says, well, I got to change. And you know, before I came to Christ, I had a lot of difficulty even determining right from wrong. And you know what, family? It's getting worse today. Why? Because as a society in general, we're departing from the standard which is the word of God, which never changes, we begin to adopt man's standard. And then before you know it, man's standard isn't right. We modify it again. We modify it again. We modify it again. And look where we are. The change that needs to take place is a change in the heart. I didn't really understand the truth. I thought I did. My life was really, as I said before, was about me. When it needs to be about Jesus. And you know, when you're in darkness, you don't even realize it. It's just the way I live. This is just the way I am. That's why we so, family, we so need the light. Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In the liberal society today, things like diversity and tolerance are more desirable than correction. It seems easier for the unsaved to walk in sin than walk in light because it requires no change. I say it seems that way, but really that's the hard path. Proverbs 14, verse 12 said, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It seems right because that's the status quo. But coming to Jesus on his terms exposes the wrong in order to bring about what? The necessary change that God sees and must be made. There's an account later in the book of Acts, in chapter 26. You don't need to turn there, I'll just kind of go through what it says. In, in Paul the Apostle, in his faithfulness, once again, wherever he went, he would share the good news. And this time, he had an audience before a king, before King Agrippa in Caesarea. And he began to tell King Agrippa about his conversion, how he came to Christ. He explained that he was given a mission by God to the Gentiles. And in verse 18 of that chapter, it says, to open their eyes. He says, this is my mission, King Agrippa, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. He said, that's why I'm doing what, what I'm doing. God has asked me to do that, to introduce light, to dispel that darkness. And then he shared his testimony, how he came to Christ, who he was, and then who he became and how he was called to minister to the Gentiles through this miraculous conversion. 
And as, and as Paul began to share with King Agrippa, the Holy Spirit was hard at work too. The Holy Spirit honors His Word, family. He honors His Word. And the Holy Spirit, as Paul spoke the Word of God, the Spirit of God began to work in Agrippa's heart. And I believe that Agrippa's heart, as it was touched, began to change at least a little bit. He, he seemed so close. And then his reply to Paul was tragic. A crisis. And here's what he said. In verse 28, he said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. <sighs> In other words, you almost got me. <laughs> the darkness in Agrippa's heart couldn't handle the light. You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And you know, it's a tragic thing when people seem to come so close yet so far unwilling to escape the grip of darkness. And they might even say to you, oh, you know, I, I see what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Intellectually, I understand what the Bible is telling me about Jesus. I do understand that Jesus is the Son of God. It makes sense to me. I see that Jesus died and rose for me. I see your life. I see what Jesus has done in you, and it's good for you. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I see what he's doing. It's good for you, meaning it's not good for me. And maybe a person might say, you know, I, I ought to change and give my life to the Lord, but you know what? I'm not ready to make that commitment. You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And how sad it is, just one step away from entering in, that last step saying is this, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I commit my life to you. I receive you. I receive forgiveness of my sin. Hallelujah. And the last step, the most important step of their life, Agrippa was faced with, wasn't he? The most important decision. He said, you almost persuaded me. So close yet, so far. Walked away. Door closed. Did he ever come to Christ? Well, there's no evidence of that. How sad. How tragic. You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. The truth is, it's not about you or me doing the persuading. Have you ever tried to twist somebody's arm behind their back to come to Christ? In a sense, I think we've all done that. And what are we doing? We're trying to persuade them. When God never tells us to persuade anybody, you just be faithful to share my word. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. And he's really, really good at it. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to a person's heart, drawing that person through condemnation. No, through love. We're drawn with cords of love, the Scriptures tell us. And Chords of Love says this, I, I know where you've been, I know what you've been up to, I know your sin, and I still love you, and I want to forgive you. Will you come to me? You see, that's the message of love that the world needs to hear. Not you filthy sinner, turn or burn. We all know we're filthy sinners. But that's not the approach that God would have us to take. You know, there comes a point in time in a person's life when 
their life is no longer fulfilling. And the choice we make ultimately brings us to Christ because, and it begins with conviction deep within ourselves that we're dissatisfied with, with life as it is or the way that we are. We don't like the way we're living and I need to be different. And if we pursue truth, we'll surely find it. And then, and then what happens? It, it, you know, if you belong to Jesus, you know what happened. You, you find yourself drawn like a magnet to Jesus Christ, and you begin to live in truth. And if you're anything like me, you would have said, why didn't I do this years before? Well, I can tell you that God's Spirit was hard at work in my heart. And He's a gentleman. He doesn't force. He invites and He draws. Hebrews 11.6 says, Whosoever would draw near to God, or whoever would draw near to God, must believe that He exists, and He is a rewarder of those that diligently, what? Seek Him. Jesus said, those that seek Me will find Me. And I imagine these words that, that Jesus shared with Nicodemus about darkness and light had to be encouraging to Him, because He spent His entire life trying to please God by observing even the most minute of regulations. And you know what? It wore them out. And follow, trying to follow the letter of the law in order to please God in some way, it wears us out. We need the grace of God. And we need Jesus who will fulfill that law. He did fulfill the law. And the law of God is fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ. We're not perfect, but Jesus is. And I have Christ in me, the fulfiller of the law, that I, yes, I, I desire to do what's right. I desire to do what's good. But I know I stumble. I know I fall. I know I fail. I know I mess up. But my Jesus is there to pick me up. And he would say to me, and he would say to you too, you know, I know what's happened. But remember, I have forgiven you. You just stay close to me. You go and you sin no more. Nicodemus was empty. He was searching. He was unfulfilled. And he realized there's a better way, and, and that's with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where it's no longer about what I do, but rather finding rest in his soul by embracing this, and that is Jesus did it for me. In this passage that we studied today, we saw three totally different responses to Paul's message in Antioch. And what was true in Antioch is true today. There will be those three responses. And you know, Paul the Apostle knew that he couldn't control the responses, and neither can we. Jesus never forced anyone. What are we to do? We are ambassadors of the gospel. And what does an ambassador do? It brings forth a message from the one, from the king. And that's what we do too. We're an ambassador for Christ. We're sent to deliver a message from the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's for ambassadors and messengers that give a message. We have no control over the outcome, do we? Well, sometimes we think we do, but the reality is we don't. And what a person does with that message it's between that person and God. Notice what Paul said in verse 46 of Acts 13. 
And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. <laughs> that's the message, right? That, that's the seed of truth. But seeing you put it away from you and judge, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul said, you've rejected it. And therefore, because you've rejected it, you've brought judgment upon yourselves. You see, when we reject Jesus and the forgiveness that he has given us and extended to us, what we're saying is, well, that which I deserve, I want. We may not mouth those words, but that's the message that we're sending. And Paul's saying the responsibility is yours. It's not mine. He was faithful to share. And he said, because you've rejected it, you've put it from you, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. What you choose to do is your choice and your personal responsibility. And the consequences of what a person chooses are their responsibility. Have you ever felt like you're holding yourself responsible for another person's response? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Uh, did, I, did I not share it correctly? Should I share it something different? You know, and, and you don't see the fruit of it. You think, maybe I failed in some way. In, re in retrospect, and this happens to me all the time, oh, fine. I, I replay the thing in my mind, and, oh, you know what? I, I should have said this, or I should have done that. No. It's God's business to deal with. When we carry the pressure or burden for them to get saved, we find ourselves overwhelmed. We can't make that decision for anyone else. We can't twist an arm. It's their decision and theirs alone. And I'll tell you what, it's a good thing that it's not our responsibility or our burden because we can't possibly think for a moment that a person's salvation depends upon us. We just need to be faithful. We need to understand where our responsibility begins and where it ends as messengers and ambassadors for our King Jesus. Our responsibility is to share God's offer of salvation, but what a person does with it, it's their responsibility. And we can't, you and I cannot carry that responsibility. We aren't intended to or designed to carry it. Otherwise, we'll be crushed under the weight of it. Yes, we, we share we share in love, we engage, we bring the message, we want to help them and pray for them, and that's all we can do. We can follow up, for sure, but please, by the grace of God, don't take upon another's, another's burden upon yourself. The decision is theirs. If we try to take it on ourselves, we begin operating in our flesh, don't we? And we all know how well that works. Not too well. And you know, we can't improve upon what the Holy Spirit is already working in the soil of a person's heart. Maybe, maybe some of you this morning, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I've, I've been trying to carry the weight of another person's decision for or against Christ after I shared with them the way of salvation. If so, let it go. Let it go. You're not meant to carry it. What are you to do? Pray. 
Pray for that person. And ask God, God, if you would please open up another opportunity, another door for me just to bring the love of Jesus to this person, to bring the light so that the darkness will be dispelled. But God, that's your business, not mine. I just want to do what you would have me to do in sharing the truth. A person's salvation never depends on you. Maybe that sounds a bit shocking, but you can't save a person. I can't save a person. Only God can save a person. Does it mean you give up on them? No. Don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep on being an instrument in God's hands. Continue to be an example. And I know some of you here, you're faced with situations in your family that, I don't know if he or she's ever going to come to Christ. Don't be discouraged. And it's, listen, I know it's a hard road. It's not a road that you probably would want to ever tread. And it's hard. It can be drudgery, but by the grace of God, don't give up. And here's why I say don't give up. Jesus has never given up. He still loves, and he continues to use you. Bring the love into your homes, into your relationships. Bring the light into your homes, into your relationships, and say, God, This is what I've done. You've seen it. You know what I've done. It all belongs to you. Because you love that person an awful lot more than I do. You died for that person. I did not. One of the things we need to remember is how active and how powerful the Holy Spirit is in bringing a person to salvation. When you think about Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul, I mean, a history of hatred for Christians, hatred for Jesus, desiring to imprison Christians, setting them up to be murdered. Think about him. He was probably voted least likely to come to Christ in his high school class. And, you know, maybe you were there too. Maybe there were other Christians in your life, maybe when you're in school or wherever you might be, and they would look at you and say, oh, I've shared the gospel with this person. They are so far away. They're never, ever, ever going to come to Jesus. And here you are. Here we are. (laughs) I know those words were spoken of me. What's it going to take for him to come to Christ? Right, honey? Yeah. It's because the Holy Spirit kept on doing what the Holy Spirit does, pointing people to Jesus. He stirred within you before you came to him. He stirred within you a discontent with the status quo of your life. He stirred up a hunger for the questions in life that only God can answer. Things like, what what is the meaning of this life here on this planet? What's my purpose Is there something more, something greater that I can trust in for all eternity? Because I can't trust in me. I can't trust in any person. I can't trust in anything. There's got to be someone that I can trust in. Or is there hope for me? Because life is hard. Where can I find hope? Can there be some satisfaction that I just don't see? You know, why do I feel so empty? 
Why is my life so unfulfilled? You see, that's all part of our testimony. And we can look back and, and, and say, now I see how God has pursued me. He's the one that created that vacuum in my life. He's the one that stirred up this discontent. He's the one that stirred my heart to say, I don't know what life's about. And it began to stir within you a desire to find those answers. And then you realize, you know, all the answers are found in Jesus Christ. All things in Him are yea and amen. Amen? God does this every day, all day, in every person, 24-7. It's not like, well, if God did more in, in His life or applied more pressure, then He probably would get saved. No, no, God knows what He's doing. He's doing what needs to be done. Again, he doesn't force anyone. He leaves the decision very, very personal because he is a very personal God. A personal decision for a personal Savior. And it's important to understand this. You and I cannot take on the responsibility of someone's salvation. Just do what God has asked you to do. And say, God... He's yours. She's yours. And sometimes I have to confess this to you. I say, God, he's yours or she's he's yours. And then let me, let me just take the, the, the person's arm. Maybe they, maybe they need a little bit more persuasion or attention. God would say, take your hands off. Take your hands off what belongs to me. It's my work. And it's that person's responsibility to respond to me. Maybe God's saying, just pray for that person. Just pray and see what I can do. He knows how to save a person. He knows how to get through to a person to bring them to himself. And you know what? God will never, ever violate a person's free will in order to do so. What kind of a relationship would that be? God desires that we come to him on his terms, yet with a desire on our part, not forced, not coerced, only persuaded by the love of Christ. That's all. Every person must make his or own decision. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my God is long-suffering. He's patient. He bears with me. He bears with us. And he's willing that none of us perish, but that every single one of us comes to repentance, which opens the door to salvation. That's his heart. Will you make that decision for Christ today? You know, as Paul shared, he gave an invitation to those in Antioch and Pisidia. We, we make the same invitation today. Why? Because it's consistent with what God would desire, that every person get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe some of the things I shared just a few moments ago, maybe, maybe life has caught up with you and you say, well, this life means nothing to me right now. I don't know if there's any meaning in life. I don't know if I have a future. I don't know if I have a hope. But you know what? All those things... God would put an exclamation point. I will give you purpose. I will give you 
I will give you a true life. I will fill you in a way that you could never be filled by the world. But it needs to come from a heart that's ready to receive. And God knows a heart that's ready to receive. Would you receive Jesus today? Would you make that decision for Jesus Christ? If you'd like to make that decision for Jesus, then pray with me, please. And then we'll share the Lord's table. Please pray with me. Jesus, I'm at a a great crossroads in my life. And the crossroads leads me to the cross. I come before the cross of Christ humbly right now. And in my mind, I, I picture my Savior. I picture Him bleeding and suffering. I picture judgment and punishment upon Him. And I realize that that man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, is there for me. He took my place. Every bit of pain that he bore, every insult, every thorn that pierced his skull, every stripe on his back, every splinter from that roughly hewn cross, the nails in his hands and in his feet, the pierced side, I realize that should be me. But I'm grateful that I can look at Jesus and I say thank you for doing that for me and for forgiving me of all of my sins. So I come to you now. I'm seeking you. I need you. I want you. And I ask you, please, cleanse me of all of my sin. And I know your blood was shed in order to accomplish that. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I invite you into my heart right now that I would turn from my ways, I would repent from my sin, and make every day of my life here on earth an expression of my love for you as I choose daily to walk with you. I thank you for loving me, and I thank you for saving me. And I praise you, I praise you, and I praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.